Chapter 9, Part 1 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P. T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary B. Clayton. Struggles and Triumphs of P. T. Barnum, Chapter 9, The Road to Riches, Part 1. The American Museum was the ladder by which I rose to fortune. Whenever I cross Broadway at the head of Vesey Street and see the Herald Building and that gorgeous pile, the Park Bank, my mind's eye recalls that less solid, more showy edifice which once occupied the site and was covered with pictures of all manners of beasts, birds, and creeping things, and in which were treasures that brought treasures and notoriety and pleasant hours to me. The Jenny Lind enterprise was more audacious, more immediately remunerative, and I remember it with a pride which I do not attempt to conceal. But instinctively I often go back and live over again the old days of my struggles and triumphs in the American Museum. The museum was always open at sunrise, and this was so well known throughout the country that strangers coming to the city would often take a tour through my halls before going to breakfast or to their hotels. I do not believe there was ever a more truly popular place of amusement. I frequently compare the annual number of visitors with the number officially reported as visiting, free of charge, the British Museum in London, and my list was invariably the larger. Nor do I believe that any man or manager ever labored more industriously to please his patrons. I furnished the most attractive exhibitions which money could procure. I abolished all vulgarity and profanity from the stage, and I prided myself upon the fact that parents and children could attend the dramatic performances in the so-called lecture room and not be shocked or offended by anything they might see or hear. I introduced the moral drama, producing such plays as The Drunkard, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Moses in Egypt, Joseph and His Brethren, and occasionally spectacular melodramas produced with great care and at considerable outlay. Mr. Southern, who has since attained such a widespread celebrity at home and abroad as a character actor, was a member of my dramatic company for one or two seasons. Mr. Barney Williams also began his theatrical career at the museum, occupying at first quite a subordinate position at a salary of $10 a week. During the past 12 or 15 years, I presume his weekly receipts, when he has acted, have been nearly $3,000. The late Miss Mary Gannon also commenced at the museum, and many more actors and actresses of celebrity have been, from time to time, engaged there. What was once the small lecture room was converted into a spacious and beautiful theater, extending over the lots adjoining the museum and capable of holding about 3,000 persons. The saloons were greatly multiplied and enlarged, and the egress having been made to work to perfection, on holidays I advertised lecture-room performances every hour through the afternoon and evening, and consequently the actors and actresses were dressed for the stage as early as eleven o'clock in the morning, and did not resume their ordinary clothes till ten o'clock at night. In these busy days the meals for the company were brought in and served in the dressing-rooms and green-rooms, and the company always received extra pay. Leaving nothing undone that would bring Barnum and his museum before the public, 
i often engaged some exhibition knowing that it would directly bring no extra dollars to the treasury but hoping that it would incite a newspaper paragraph which would float through the columns of the american press and be copied perhaps abroad and my hopes in this respect were often gratified i confess that i liked the museum mainly for the opportunities it afforded for rapidly making money before i bought it i weighed the matter well in my mind and was convinced that i could present to the american public such a variety quantity and quality of amusement blended with instruction quote, all for twenty-five cents children half price end quote, that my attractions would be irresistible and my fortune certain i myself relished a higher grade of amusement and i was a frequent attendant at the opera first-class concerts lectures and the like but i worked for the million and i knew the only way to make a million from my patrons was to give them abundant and wholesome attractions for a small sum of money about the first of july eighteen forty two i began to make arrangements for extra novelties additional performances a large amount of extra advertising and an outdoor display for the glorious fourth large parti-coloured bills were ordered transparencies were prepared the free band of music was augmented by a trumpeter and columns of advertisements headed with large capitals were written and put on file i wanted to run out a string of american flags across the street on that day for i knew there would be thousands of people passing the museum with leisure and pocket money and i felt confident that an unusual display of national flags would arrest their patriotic attention and bring many of them within my walls unfortunately for my purpose st paul's church stood directly opposite and there was nothing to which i could attach my flag rope unless it might be one of the trees in the churchyard i went to the vestrymen for permission to so attach my flag rope on the fourth of july and they were indignant at what they called my quote, insulting proposition end quote. such a concession would be sacrilege i plied them with arguments and appealed to their patriotism but in vain returning to the museum i gave orders to have the string of flags made ready with directions at daylight on the fourth of july to attach one end of the rope to one of the third-story windows of the museum and the other end to a tree in st paul's churchyard the great day arrived and my orders were strictly followed the flags attracted great attention and before nine o'clock i have no doubt that hundreds of additional visitors were drawn by this display into the museum by half-past nine broadway was thronged and at about that time two gentlemen in a high state of excitement rushed into my office announcing themselves as injured and insulted vestrymen of st paul's church keep cool gentlemen said i i guess it is all right right indignantly exclaimed one of them do you think it is right to attach your museum to our church we will show you what is right and what is law if we live till tomorrow those flags must come down instantly thank you i said but let us not be in a hurry i will go out with you and look at them and i guess we can make it all right going out into the street i remarked really gentlemen these flags look very beautiful they do not injure your tree i always stop my balcony music for your accommodation whenever you hold weekday services and it is but fair that you should return the favor we could indict your music as you call it as a nuisance if we chose answered one vestryman and now i tell you that if these flags are not taken down in ten minutes i will cut them down his indignation was at the boiling point the crowd in the street was dense and the angry gesticulation of the vestrymen attracted their attention 
I saw there was no use in trying to parley with him or coax him, and so, assuming an angry air, I rolled up my sleeves and exclaimed in a loud tone, Well, mister, I should just like to see you dare to cut down the American flag on the 4th of July. You must be a Britisher to make such a threat as that, but I'll show you a thousand pairs of Yankee hands in two minutes if you dare to attempt to take down the stars and stripes on this great birthday of American freedom. What's that John Bull saying? asked the brawny fellow, placing himself in front of the irate vestryman. Look here, old fellow, he continued. If you want to save a whole bone in your body, you had better slope and never dare to talk again about hauling down the American flag in the city of New York. Throngs of excited, exasperated men crowded around, and the vestryman, seeing the effect of my ruse, smiled faintly and said, Oh, of course it is all right and he and his companion quietly edged out of the crowd. The flags remained up all day and all night. The next morning I sought the vanquished vestrymen and obtained formal permission to make this use of the tree on following holidays, in consideration of my willingness to arrest the doleful strains of my discordant balcony band whenever services were held on weekdays in the church. On that 4th of July at 1 o'clock p.m., my museum was so densely crowded that we could admit no more visitors and we were compelled to stop the sale of tickets i pushed through the throng until i reached the roof of the building hoping to find room for a few more but it was in vain looking into the street it was a sad sight to see the thousands of people who stood ready with their money to enter the museum but who were actually turned away it was exceedingly harrowing to my feelings Rushing downstairs, I told my carpenter and his assistants to cut through the partition and floor in the rear and to put in a temporary flight of stairs so as to let out people by that egress into Ann Street. By three o'clock, the egress was opened and a few people were passed down the new stairs while a corresponding number came in at the front. But I lost a large amount of money that day by not having sufficiently estimated the value of my own advertising and consequently not having provided for the thousands who had read my announcements and seen my outside show and had taken the first leisure day to visit the museum i learned one lesson however and that was to have the egress ready on future holidays early in the following march i received notice from some of the irish population that they meant to visit me in great numbers on st patrick's day in the morning unquote all right i said to my carpenter get your egress ready for march seventeen and i added to my assistant manager if there is much of a crowd don't let a single person pass out at the front even if it were st patrick himself put every man out through the egress in the rear the day came and before noon we were caught in the same dilemma as we were on the fourth of july the museum was jammed and the sale of tickets was stopped I went to the egress and asked the sentinel how many hundreds had passed out. Hundreds, he replied. Why, only three persons have gone out by this way, and they came back, saying that it was a mistake and begging to be let in again. What does this mean? I inquired. Surely thousands of people have been all over the museum since they came in. Certainly, was the reply. But after they had gone from one saloon to another and had been on every floor, even to the roof, they come down and traveled the same route over again. At this time I espied a tall Irish woman with two good-sized children, whom I had happened to notice when they came in early in the morning. "'Step this way, madam,' I said politely. "'You will never be able to get into the street by the front door without crushing these dear children. We have opened a large egress here, and you can pass by these rear stairs into Ann Street and thus avoid all danger.' 
sure replied the woman indignantly and i'm not going out at all at all nor the children either for we've brought our dinners and we are going to stay all day further investigation showed that pretty much all of my visitors had brought their dinners with the evident intention of literally making a day of it no one expected to go home till night the building was overcrowded and meanwhile hundreds were waiting at the front entrance to get in when they could in despair i sauntered upon the stage behind the scenes biting my lips in vexation when i happened to see the scene painter at work and a happy thought struck me here i exclaimed take a piece of canvas four feet square and paint on it as soon as you can in large letters to the egress seizing his brush he finished the sign in fifteen minutes and i directed the carpenter to nail it over the door leading to the back stairs he did so and as the crowd after making the entire tour of the establishment came pouring down the main stairs from the third floor they stopped and looked at the new sign while some of them read audibly to the agres a i g r e s s the agres said others sure that's an animal we haven't seen and the throng began to pour down the back stairs only to find that the agres was the elephant and that the elephant was all out of doors or so much of it as began with ann street meanwhile i began to accommodate those who had long been waiting with their money at the broadway entrance notwithstanding my continual outlays for additional novelties and attractions or rather i might say because of these outlays money poured in upon me so rapidly that i was sometimes actually embarrassed to devise means to carry out my original plan for laying out the entire profits of the first year in advertising i meant to sow first and reap afterwards i finally hit upon a plan which cost a large sum and that was to prepare large oil paintings to be placed between the windows of the entire building representing nearly every important animal known in zoology these paintings were put on the building in a single night and so complete a transformation in the appearance of an edifice is seldom witnessed when the living stream rolled down broadway the next morning and reached the astor house corner opposite the museum it seemed to meet with a sudden check i never before saw so many open mouths and astonished eyes some people were puzzled to know what it all meant some looked as if they thought it was an enchanted palace that had suddenly sprung up others exclaimed well the animals all seemed to have broken out last night and hundreds came in to see how the establishment survived the sudden eruption at all events from that morning the museum receipts took a jump forward of nearly a hundred dollars a day and they never fell back again strangers would look at this great pictorial magazine and argue that an establishment with so many animals on the outside must have something on the inside and in they would go to see inside i took particular pains to please and astonish these strangers and when they went back to the country they carried plenty of pictorial bills and lithographs which i always lavishly furnished and thus the fame of barnum's museum became so widespread that people scarcely thought of visiting the city without going to my establishment in fact the museum had become an established institution in the land now and then someone would cry out humbug and charlatan but so much the better for me it helped to advertise me and i was willing to bear the reputation and i engaged queer curiosities and even monstrosities simply to add to the notoriety of the museum end of chapter nine part one recording by gary b clayton